0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you today. Man, it's a crazy world out there, isn't it? It's crazy stuff happening. Man, boy, do we need God or what? Do we need to trust in the Lord or what? In fact, let's just uh, start this uh, time off again here with some more prayer, and then we'll dive into God's word. Lord, we do need you. And God, as we look at the headlines of things happening in our own nation, our own country, our own city, Lord, we see things happen all over the globe, the chaos, the wars, the, the evil. God, the poverty. Lord God, would you just help us to continue to cling to you and hold to you, not in a spirit of fear, but a spirit of anticipation and hope, God. Uh, You are our rock. You are our shield. You are everything. So God, uh, change us. Help us make a presence in this world. Help us be a light in the darkness. And God, let your word be a light in our darkness right now, Lord, as we open up the pages of your word, continue with uh, the very things you've recorded and accounted and given to us the living truth. In Jesus' name, we all said together, amen. amen. You know what? Relationships are wonderful. Man, they really are. Uh, but we've talked about this before. Relationships can also be messy. And because of sin and because of selfishness, um, it's just inevitable that you're going to hurt somebody and somebody's going to hurt you. It's just the way it is. It's just part of the nature of relationships because of our sin and selfishness. And uh, we can easily damage or even destroy Relationships. You know, I have a, I have a friend, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call him Joe this morning. Uh, Joe and I go way back. We've been friends for years. And uh, just over the course of time, I started noticing that our relationship started becoming more distant and more silent. And then uh, when we were together, there was a tension that started to kick up. And as we prepared to move here a few years ago from California, um, that increased the silence got, you know, bigger, the distance got wider, and the tension got deeper. And then once we moved, it just, we, we didn't really stay in touch much. And then last year, I uh, went back to California for Christmas with the family. And uh, while we were there, I was talking to another friend, and the topic of Joe came up. And he was just sharing kindly. He said, you know, Joe, you know, and I were talk about you a while back, and he, he was sharing these thoughts and these feelings. I was like, man, I just need to call Joe. And so I called Joe and said, hey, can we have a cup of coffee? And we sat down, and uh, we just started clearing the air. We just started talking about what we were feeling and what we were thinking, and he unloaded some stuff. And I'm sitting there listening to him, and I'm going, okay, is, is, is everything he's saying, you know, about his th- you know, is everything he's saying accurate? No. Uh, is, is there a great responsibility probably on his part? Yeah. But you know what? Are these his feelings? Yes. He feels this. And, and um, do I care about him and his feelings? Yes, I do. And so we just spent a the time there, and we, and we reconciled. We reconciled relationship. We, we buried the hatchet, if you will. And, uh, and then really things have gone right back to a great place. In fact, him and I were just texting a little bit yesterday. You know, he said, happy birthday. And you know, I was like, hey, thanks. And, you know, we texted back and forth a little bit. And it's just great when reconciliation can happen, and we, we, we buried the hatchet, if you will. And, and uh, as you're sitting here today, the odds are you probably need to reconcile with somebody or somebody needs to reconcile with you. You know and and, and we 're going to be touching on a very uh, touchy subject as we move through this morning you know who do you need to Bury the hatchet with that. The whole phrase is a very interesting phrase. Bury the hatchet. When I first heard about bury the hatchet as a kid, I thought it meant like you did your enemy in. You know, like you buried the hatchet. I'm like that's kind of gross sounding, you know. Um, and then for years later, you know, I, I realized I thought bury the hatchet meant just to just to just to bury it into a stump, you know, because now it's not a danger, it's not a threat. But here's the thing: if if this is the definition of burying the hatchet, it, it's still accessible. <laughs> you can still pull it out and use it when you want. That's really not the the term bury the hatchet. Bury the hatchet is an English uh, uh, usage of a Native American phrase. And really the practice of burying the hatchet really means that when two tribes uh, wanted to stop warring and wanted to have peace, they would literally dig a hole and they would bury their weapons. They would bury their tomahawks and they would literally bury the hatchet. And they would dig holes and bury it. So now it wasn't accessible. Now you couldn't get it. And you were going to try to have peace with this nation that you've been at war with. And today, as we continue in Genesis, we're going to be entering again back into this, the life of this man named Jacob. Here's, here's Jacob. His grandfather was Abraham, who God gave the promise that he was going to make a nation out of. And, and Jacob's father is Isaac who was the miracle baby between Abraham and Sarah when they were in old age. And here we have Jacob, who we've looked at the last couple weeks, is, is a fascinating man who's made a lot of mistakes. And some of those mistakes are related to people that are close to him. And so uh, we've seen in the last couple of weeks where uh, Jacob tricked his older brother Esau out of his birthright over a bowl of soup. We saw how Jacob uh, deceived and tricked his father who was blind by pretending to be Esau and 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 stealing the birth uh, the um the blessing from his father. And so uh Jacob and Esau have issues. Last week we looked at how Jacob took off. It's like time to start a family. And he goes and he finds this woman, Rachel, and he falls in love and he wants to marry her. And how uh, when he's connecting with Rachel's father, Laban, how they make this arrangement that uh, Jacob will work for seven years and then he can marry Rachel. And he did so joyfully. And then we saw how Laban tricked Jacob that on their wedding night, instead of giving him Rachel, he gave him the older sister of Rachel, Leah. And so uh, that caused a rift, and and, and Laban tricked him into seven more years of work, and he would give Rachel, uh, you know, if he would commit to that. And so we see how Jacob and Laban have issues. And so Jacob and Laban, and Jacob and Esau have these issues, and they really need to learn how to reconcile. They need to bury the hatchet somehow. And so I want to look at the life of Jacob and look at some of these moments. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 31, And through Genesis chapter 33. So turn in your Bibles to Genesis 31 through 33. Obviously not going to read it all, but I'm going to be zooming in and out at different points. And what I'm looking for for us is what can we learn about burying the hatchet by looking at the life of Jacob and these men that he's going to bury the hatchet with. And we're going to find ourselves starting out in Genesis chapter 31. And I'm I'm going to start in verse 22 through 31 because what's basically happened at this point is Jacob says, "Um, I'm out of here. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to tell Laban. I'm just going to sneak off with my wife and kids and all my stuff and all my animals. I'm just going to disappear. So while Laban was out of town, he packs up and heads out. And here's what we see taking place in Genesis 31 verses 22 through 31. It says, when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. He's saying basically do not do any harm to to Jacob. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done? That you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and with songs and with tambourine and with lyre? And why do you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you've done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you've learned greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Because there were some possessions that were taken from Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, "Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force." What you see taking place as you continue this narrative right here is that Jacob and Laban then enter into this conversation, and were really they're airing their grievances. And Jacob, or David said to Jacob, why did you leave? Why did you do this? And why did you trick me? And then you see you know, Jacob going, hey, whoa, whoa, time out here, man. You come looking through all my stuff for something I don't even know that I have. And by the way, I served you for 20 years. And when it was cold and when it was hot and when was hungry, and if, if, if I lost an animal, I took responsibility for it. I didn't put it on you. And they, they aired their grievances and really kind of pointed fingers at each other, expressing the things that they weren't happy about. When all that concluded, look what takes place. If you were to look forward to Genesis chapter 31, Verse 51, they come to this moment of making an agreement, of burying the hatchet, if you will. It says, Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and this pillar. He had made a pile of stones in the, the, this pillar. He says, see this heap and this pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of the Father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. And they ate bread and they spent the night in the hill country. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. What, what an interesting story. You know, Jacob takes off. He, he doesn't have the, 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 the courage to, and out of fear of what Laban may or may not do because of all the history they have, he just leaves. Laban overtakes him. Laban has the power to um, hurt him, take his stuff, drag him back. But God intervenes. And they have this interesting conversation. At the end, they make this agreement. And it's so interesting because this this is a place where people take this verse about, may the Lord watch between you and me. And you see people walking around with like like a little thing, you know, half of a little shape, a heart or a circle on one side, and the other people have one on the other side, this little mist thing. It's really interesting because the sentiment of people that wear that is like, oh, we're we're like best friends, and you know, the Lord's going to watch between us. When you see the original context here, it's like, look, you've done me wrong, I've done you wrong. We have this big pile, this marker right now that's basically saying, we've made peace, and God's going to watch you, and God's going to watch me to make sure that we don't mess up. It's really an accountability and asking God to hold them accountable. They've set a boundary in place, saying, if you don't cross over this boundary, we're, we're, we're keeping peace. And so in this moment, they, they buried the hatchet. They have peace. We'll circle back in a minute to get some more lessons out of that, but I think I just want you guys to understand, at that point, they buried the hatchet. Now, this is good news for Jacob because he's ready to move on. He's, he's on a journey back to his home region. There's only one slight problem. Because if he's going to go back to his home region, there's another person that's got major beef with him that he has to encounter, and that's his older brother Esau. Have you ever had those moments when you know you're going to encounter somebody who the last time you talked with them, it didn't go well? And maybe you're on the downside, you know? Maybe you're on the outs. Can you imagine what Jacob must have been feeling going, I'm, I've got all my stuff, all my family, I'm going back to my, my, my home region... I'm going to interact with my brother. Is he going to kill me? Is he going to make me a slave? Like, uh, and he's, he's tormented. And so uh, he, he knows that this is what's coming. Well, what happens? Well, we pick up what takes place in Genesis chapter 32. So turn to Genesis 32. And in Genesis 32, in verse 3 through 5, it says, Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob. I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. He is initiating contact. He has given Esau a heads up. I've been gone. I'm coming back. And look at the language he's using to tell the servants, "Tell, tell my Lord Esau that his servant Jacob's coming, and here's what I have, and I'm looking to find favor in your sight. Well, the servants come back, and they say, oh, we we connected with Esau. He's like, oh, good, what happened? Oh, he's coming your way with 400 men. Well, what would you be thinking at that point? Oh, crud. That's probably some sort of Hebrew biblical context there. My brother's coming with 400 trained soldiers. This is bad news. Well, and what, what does Jacob do? He converts his word into prayer. Look at Genesis 32, verses 9 through 11. Man, he's just crying out to God. Jacob said, O God, my father, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. We talked about this last week, Hal. You know, Jacob isn't quite the man God who's, who God's making yet, but he's not back here. He's kind of in the middle, remember? And we talked about not getting stuck in the middle. Do you hear it? There's a tone in Jacob. If you've ever studied the life of Jacob, there's a tone changer. There's a level of humility She haven't really picked up on before. And as he's talking to the Lord, he's saying, I don't deserve anything you've given me. God, you've been so faithful to me. And I'm just pouring out my heart to you now. I'm I'm in danger's way. Please rescue me from my hand. Remember, you you said that you were going to bring me back here. And you you were going to bless. And so I'm having a hard time connecting the dots because I'm coming back and I've got 401 men coming my way and this isn't good. Well, what Jacob did next is really interesting. He basically put together a peace offering. You know, he's a shrewd guy, he's a sharp guy, and he puts together a peace offering. And so he takes all these animals, and he sends a bunch of servants with basically waves of animals. So there's Esau and his men are coming, they would hit one wave of animals, and then another, and then another, and then another. And I think Jacob's hopes were that as his brother was coming, these waves of blessings and peace offerings and gifts would somehow soften his heart. And so he sent, you know, he sent uh, goats and rams and cows and bulls and camels and donkeys, 550 animals in total, in waves, he sent onto his brother. And when he did that, right after that, then he sent his, his wives and his children across wives. I didn't say wives, God didn't say to have wives. It's just something Jacob, you know, he's not quite the man God's making him yet, you know. And he sent them across the river, and all of a sudden he was alone. He was alone. And you can imagine what the, the, the prayers of a, a man who's scared alone sound like. And something very defining happened in the life of Jacob. And when I want to look at it is in, in Genesis 32, look at verse 24. After he kind of sent all these waves and all these people ahead of him, and he was just going to catch up the next day, it says, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Jacob wrestled with God. And, and this is like, I mean, this is a whole nother, we can sit here for a couple hours and try to digest this and process this. What, what does this look like? Here comes God incarnate, comes down. It's almost like, like there's times I play with my children and I wrestle with them. And there's times when I let them pin me and there's times when I let them stuff like that. And you know, they're walking away feeling pretty good about themselves. You kind of get that image. Like here's God, so I'm gonna wrestle with Jacob. God could have squished Jacob, you know? But, but he allowed Jacob to wrestle with him for an entire night. Just wore Jacob down. I think he continued to do that work of humility and continued to break his heart and to shape his heart in those moments. And then at the end, he's like, okay, watch this, bam. Okay, now you got your hip out of place. Game over. <laughs> you know, for all the wrestlers in the room or families that are wrestling, you should be really happy because this is actually a God-endorsed sport here, you know, re- wrestling. And at the end... God gave him this new name, Israel. He went from Jacob, heel grabber, supplanter, you know, the manipulator, to, to one who's wrestled with God as, as prevailed. He's with God. And it did a defining work in his life, which I think set up what was going to happen next with Esau. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about the significance of the name change next week, but just take note that this was a major moment that happened. Well, what happened right after that? Well, Esau's coming. Genesis 33, 1-4, through four, Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, and then Leah with her children next, and then Rachel and Joseph last. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Check out verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him, and embraced him, and fell on his neck, and kissed him, and they wept. That is a beautiful picture of reconciliation. Maybe you've had that moment where you've had a reconciliation with a person where it didn't take words in that moment. Man, just holding each other and just bawling or whatever it was, you just knew that there was a healing work taking place, that a certain amount of the past and what was old is gone, and there's going to be something new that's going to come. And I love this little exchange that happens next. And you look at Genesis 33, verses 8 through 11. Esau says, what do you mean by all this company that met me? (laughs) What's up with all the ways of animals, bro? So what's, what's going on here? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my presence from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. And in verse 18, it says, And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram, and he camped before the city. What a powerful moment of reconciliation. As Jacob and Esau meet, and you know we don't know much about what happens after this, but there, there's a burying of the hatchet. There's, there's, a, there's a mutual peace that's accepted, and the raging waters have been calmed. So we look at, we look at Jacob here and go, man, he's, he's buried the hatchet with Laban, he's buried the hatchet with Esau, there was this defining moment with God, what can we learn about reconciliation in our relationships based on this? Well, here's four, four dynamics I think that we go through. I think we experience these four dynamics that will help us bury the hatchet with others. First is this. There's going to be a wrestling with God. Reconciliation is a spiritual thing. Having the guts and the humility to say, I was wrong, is a spiritual thing. Having the courage to come to someone who you know has beef with you and saying, I have wronged you. Will you forgive me? That courage is a spiritual thing. When someone who's wronged you, whether they're, a, and in some cases, maybe they passed on or maybe there's no access, but you know you're carrying around this, this unforgiveness, this bitterness in your heart, to forgive them is a spiritual thing. And some of you are sitting here going, I can't do it. And, you're right, and I'm sitting here, I agree with you, you can't. But if Christ is in you, you can because Christ in you can forgive. And so there's going to be a wrestling with God if we're really going to have reconciliation. And I think about it. It was God who called Jacob to leave. When Jacob was with Laban and Padan Aram, he, he said, now it's time to go. It was God who said, go. And so as Jacob, as Jacob was going along the way and as Laban overtook him, don't you think there were times that Jacob was wrestling with God? You saw how Laban wrestled with God. Laban came after Jacob with the intent to do him harm or to bring him into oppression or something. He said himself, I have the power to harm you, which means he probably had the intent to harm him. (laughs) But what happened? God intervened and wrestled with Laban and said, Don't you touch my servant Jacob. Don't you say something good or bad to him. You just deal with the situation. There was a wrestling with God that even Laban had to have. We see the wrestling that Jacob had to have when Jacob was by himself. And think about all the hundreds of animals and, you know, how many, maybe hundreds of people that were around him. Now he's by himself. And he's doing this deep work of God in his life. And he's wrestling with God. And God does something to him. He touches him. You know, there are times when you look at the relationships in your life, you look at the situations in your life, and we have very well-meaning people in your life that will give you bad advice. Because it's so quick to justify, so quick to listen to people who are your fans say, well, you know, they deserve this, and you deserve this, and you da, nah, nah, da, da, da. You know what? If you really want to get on the level where you want to know if you should be moving forward with reconciliation or not, send everyone else away from you and be alone with God and wrestle with Him. Listen to the voice of the Father above all voices. Now, you might have good godly counsel in your life, and you might have people that God's going to use to bring you and encourage you and stuff like that, but there's just times when you you have to get down to business and be alone with God and wrestle with him. And there's going to be times, you know what? He might not touch your hip, but he'll break your pride. He might not give you a physical limp by touching the, the socket of your hip, but he'll touch your heart He'll touch your mind, he'll touch something in you that will remind you how frail and how human you are and how much you need him and how much you're flawed and all of a sudden, all the wrongs that the other people have done sometimes are compared to the wrongs that God might make you aware of you've done. And in that moment, he's gonna touch you and he's gonna remind you of who he is. Isn't it good, though, that we have a heavenly father that's willing to wrestle with us, though? He's willing to let us grab onto Him and say, I don't understand. I don't think I can do this. I mean, when we're wrestling with God, we start, to, we start to ask questions like, you know, why? You know, why did this happen? And why were they allowed to do this? And why did I do this? And why do I have to forgive them? And all this kind of stuff. And you know what we're doing when we're doing that? We're wrestling with God. I mean, you can almost click. The next time you see the word why, just click on it. It might say, the definition, wrestling with God. <laughs> in the absence of understanding. <laughs> we're wrestling with God. If you and I are going to get reconciliation in our life, if we're going to go after damaged relationships, we're going to wrestle with God. Because it's a spiritual thing. And so today, as you're sitting here, whether you have great peace or great torment, just know that when it comes to reconciliation, when it comes to bearing the hatchet, there's, there's going to be a wrestling with God that's going to happen. The second thing I think we can identify this dynamic we can identify as we look at Jacob's life and the issue of reconciliation is own your part. You've got to own your part. Isn't it amazing how we will exert so much energy on pointing out the part of the other people? And we'll make a long list of all that they've done, and we'll make another list about why we don't need to, you know, let them off the hook. And then also we look at our list and it's surprisingly short, you know? And we, got to, we got to learn how to own our part. You know, it's interesting. When you look at what happened with Jacob and Laban, you go back to Genesis 31, look at Jacob and Laban, and you process that whole section, what what you see is you see Laban saying, well, you did this, this, and this. And you see Jacob going, well, you did this, this, and this, and this. But you know what we don't see? And maybe it was there, and it just wasn't captured. But what we don't see is Jacob saying, hey, look, here's where I've wronged you. And here's where I'm sorry. And we don't see Laban saying, hey, man, hey, it's cool. It's, you know, I, I changed wages a bunch of times. I, I come on the whole Leah Rachel thing. That kind of had to sting a little bit, you know. And We don't see Laban, you know, owning his part. We just kind of see him come to a mutual place of saying, we'll just settle on not being enemies anymore. <laughs> and you go your way, and I'll go my way. And here's this boundary in my life. We don't, we don't, we don't see them owning it. But you know what, we need to own it. We can't just be pointing, we can't just air our grievances with people. We have to be willing to own what we've done. When you look at Jacob and Esau, there was clearly forgiveness, there was clearly reconciliation. And and I think when you look at the intent of Jacob, he was saying he was sorry, he was admitting that he had done bad things to Esau's life by giving him gifts and by you know you know humbling himself and bowing before him and embracing him. There's all that, but it would have been nice if he just would have said a little bit, like bro, the whole like soup thing. I am so sorry. Uh, the whole thing about like putting your clothes on and like lamb hair and stealing the, the blessing from dad. I was I, there aren't words. I'm not I, I'm so in the wrong, I don't even have words. I'm so sorry for how I've hurt you and for Esau to be like, hey, for the 1,050 ways I tried to kill you in my brain. Um, I'm really sorry for that. You know, I mean, there wasn't an exchange. I think it would have been more rich if there was. But either way, you sense that there was a little bit of an owning of things that happened here. You and I need to learn how to own our part. Well, what, if, what if the rest of the part is, you know, on the person? What, what, if, what if that person owns 90% of the responsibility of what went wrong and you own 10? You know what you and I need to learn to do? We need to learn, learn to own 100% of our 10%. Because even though it's 10%, it's 10%. Most relational rifts are not 100% another person. Can you guys agree with me on that? Come on. It, it takes two, really. It takes two to cause a mess, and it really takes two to reconcile. And, 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 and trying to find another way out of it other than just owning it is going to be very disingenuine. I've got a family member. Maybe you have one of these family members. I've got a family member that whenever he's done something wrong, his way of trying to say he's sorry is just giving gifts. He's buy me stuff always done he just bought me stuff i'm like okay thank you for the gift that's cool it would just mean a lot more if you looked me in the eyes and said i'm sorry for this will you forgive me for that don't try to brush it under the rug by just covering it up with presents i'll take the presents thank you that's nice <laughs> but what really mean a lot to me is if you can own your part and if you've ever had a moment of reconciliation do you notice how contagious that is that when you own what you've done, all of a sudden, you're setting an example. The other person sometimes will say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry too for this and that. We've got to learn how to own our part. And whether Esau did or didn't, whether Jacob did or didn't, whether Laban did or didn't, we look at all the stuff and we go, if we're really going to bury the hatchet, if we really want to own our part, we have to identify the things that we've done and own it. And not just sit there with our emotional arms folded, just waiting for the other person to fess up. So own our part. Even if it's a small part, it's a part. And so, really, that identifies a genuine heart for reconciliation. And that can help bury the hatchet. Man, you're going to wrestle with God. You've got to own your part. The third dynamic, I think, that we're going to go through, and this is the touchy one, embrace forgiveness. Embrace forgiveness. We like receiving forgiveness. We just have a hard time extending it. Right? It's interesting. When you look at the reconciliation between Jacob and Laban, it was really more about mutual peace. It was setting boundaries. There was a forgiveness of the errors in a sense, but there was also a commitment not to harm one another. It wasn't necessarily a love for each other. It was just, okay, we're just going to decide that we're going to to part ways. And I I would offer this. A lot of times when we reconcile with people, uh, there's different layers, there's different degrees of reconciliation. Sometimes you will have full restoration of a relationship. It may even become more of a rich relationship than before because you guys have been through something tough together. Or it might just be as simple as, hey, look, I won't do you any harm. <laughs> you won't do me any harm. You bury the hatchet, and you just move on in peace. And maybe it's not a wonderful restoration, but at least you're not you know, looking over your shoulder anymore. I would say that that's Okay. But we have to learn somehow still to extend the forgiveness. And, and that right there is the danger. I mean, we, we know we can do a sermon series on forgiveness. We know that when we choose bitterness, we know when we choose unforgiveness, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. It doesn't do our soul good, right? And so we need to learn how to extend forgiveness. Now, what they had here was not really a genuine forgiveness as much as it was just an agreement to keep the peace and to set boundaries. And sometimes to forgive people, you have to set boundaries, right? This is where we have to be very, very cautious because one of the well-meaning things that people have said, one of the catchphrases out there is, well, forgiving is forgetting. I'm just going to flat out say, I disagree with that. I don't think forgiving has to mean you forget. There are deep, deep wounds brought into our life by others that we're not going to forget. And I think it's an unfair... uh, and very almost mentally abusive challenge that we just have to forget what they did to you. I mean, uh, look at a scar on your body. Just find a scar. I've got a scar here. I cut myself years ago. You look at a scar and you go, look, I see the scar. I remember what happened. And man, that hurt when it happened, but does it hurt now? No. I have a reminder of a pain that was in the past. I haven't forgot how I got that cut. I haven't forgot how I got that scar. It just doesn't hurt anymore. It's not bleeding anymore. I think that's a good way to understand forgiveness is that you say, you know what, I forgive you. I'm not necessarily going to forget because it was painful. It's left an emotional scar, if you will. It just doesn't hurt anymore because now it's off the hook. I've cleared your debt. But we have to be willing to go there. We didn't really see that level of depth with Laban. But when we look at Esau and Jacob, There's really a a deeper level of forgiveness expressed in the reunion. You know, big bear hug, lots of weeping, you know, they're eating together. There's a willingness to bless one another. And and really, it's just the evidence that there's no reconciliation without genuine forgiveness. We can't, we can't, we can't reach in and find the hatchet, and we can't say I forgive you, and we just hold it behind our back for later. That's not forgiveness. You you, got to, if you're going to bury anything, you got to leave it in there and bury it and decide that it's it's not coming back. And there's there's great rewards for that, which we'll talk about in a second. But uh, you have to decide to choose forgiveness. And what I love about what Jacob did in initiating this is he took the first step. He initiated contact with Esau. He sent a peace offering to Esau. And you know what? Uh, you know, I heard Pastor Rick say this, this last week. As was a team. We were talking about this. He says, you know what? We don't know how much God's hand was in that because if Jacob wouldn't have wrestled with God in chapter 32, perhaps Esau wouldn't have seen a humble, broken man in chapter 33, and maybe the 400 men would have done damage. <laughs> you know? But there was a heart to forgive. There was something that was taking place there that was beautiful, that was rich. Man, there was first contact. And again, um, there's an awareness that there's a level of forgiveness in some of our hearts that only Christ can open up. And that's really interesting thing. Here's a reality. Forgiven people, forgive people. Forgiven people, forgive people. And when you choose to follow Christ and you realize how great the forgiveness you've received, you realize how can I then hold on to someone else's issues in my life and not forgive when I've received such a great forgiveness. There's a spiritual health, there's a spiritual maturity that says, you know what, this person did hurt me, but they're off my hook, they're on God's hook, and I'm just going to walk in freedom now. And we have to learn how to forgive them. I love a quote from one of my favorite communicators and pastors, Andy Stanley. He says this in a book called It Came From Within. He says, in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, Forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. (laughs) If we're going to bury the hatchet, we're going to have reconciliation. We've got to embrace forgiveness. We have to learn how to give it, and we have to learn how to receive it. Sometimes we have a hard time receiving it. You know, I, I threw out several questions this last week on reconciliation, just on Facebook, just, you know, getting some people to respond. I had so many great answers. A couple things that stood out to me. One, there was a young woman here that accepted Christ here at CVC named Jennifer. She said this. She said, the day I accepted Christ, I instantly felt washed away from all the guilt that I carried for years. She learned how to forgive herself because of Christ, right? And then she said, during that time, I was carrying a huge resentment to my father, as soon as I was forgiven for my sin, I knew I had to forgive my dad because I was granted forgiveness, and so why did he not deserve that as well? And today we have a wonderful relationship all because of accepting the grace of God. It's forgiveness. It's a spiritual thing. A man named Bob said, "When I forgave things that happened, the recurrent replaying of bad memories stopped. I was able to see the good things that happened instead of recon- instead." Again, that's the work of reconciliation and healing reconciliation won't happen without forgiveness. If we're going to learn how to bury the hatchet, man, we're going to wrestle with God. We've got to own our part. We've got to embrace forgiveness. And fourthly and lastly, you've got to reap the benefits. Man, reconciliation comes with benefits. There's good things that happen. Think about it. Laban listened to the Lord. He cleared the air. He buried the hatchet. and Because of it, he was able to properly say goodbye to his family. I love that imagery of Laban the next morning getting up and kissing his daughters and kissing his grandkids and leaving. He would have been deprived of that if it would have gone down a different way. He reaped the benefits of reconciliation. Jacob, from that same situation, was able to depart from Laban in peace and and tie off all the loose ends. What if he and Laban never had reconciled? What if they never had agreed to bury the hatchet? What would have happened? He would have been looking over his shoulder for Laban for years, right? When's Laban coming to get me? When's Laban coming to get me? When's Laban going to show up? He didn't have to worry about that anymore. Why? They buried the hatchet. When you look at Jacob and Esau, man, man, now they lived in a peaceable way. Esau perhaps freed from years of bitterness, and Jacob now free from fear. Man, there might have been something deep in Esau, just eating at him for just decades. Oh, I just wish I could find Jacob. I wish I could get my hands on him. Free. And Jacob deeply worried that Esau would come and find when's Esau gonna show up? When's Esau gonna show up? When's Esau gonna have his revenge? And now, peace. And there's there's benefits when we choose to bury the hatchet. Sometimes it's peace, sometimes it's relief, sometimes it's restored relationships. And reconciliation is worth the effort. Will it always work? No, it takes two. And sometimes you're ready and the other person's not. But we still have to own our part, we still have to take responsibility. You know, as I'm talking about all this opportunity to reconcile, uh, there's three books I'm going to recommend, and I'm going to throw them up on the screen for you guys. If this is really striking a nerve with you, there's a great book by a woman named Nancy Lee DeMoss called Choosing Forgiveness. It's a great book. There's a classic out there by a guy named Henry Cloud called Boundaries. Um, sometimes when you forgive others, especially uh, toxic people, hurtful people, you still have to establish boundaries. You might have to rewrite the levels of trust or, you know, different things and have boundaries in your life. Uh, reconciliation doesn't mean just blind, okay, it's all good. You know, sometimes you have to still have boundaries in your life to protect your heart, protect the hearts of the ones you love, but you can still operate in forgiveness and reconciliation with boundaries. And also, I referred to it before, it came from within by Andy Stanley. Just a good book about looking at how yucky we are on the inside (laughs) sometimes and why we need to operate with this reconciliation. And here's the reality. I know that as I've talked about this today, some of you, as you're sitting here, are in a place of great peace. You've been doing a mental inventory going... I, I think I'm good. I, I think I'm in a good place with most of my relationships. You know what? Praise God. Praise God you're in a great place. Keep fighting for it. Keep applying these four dynamics as new situations come up because inevitably they're going to come up, right? Some of you, you're sitting here, um, you're, you're struggling. You're struggling maybe because you've really hurt somebody and you would love to bury the hatchet. You'd love to have peace, now my my, my my encouragement to you, initiate. Take the first step. Send a peace offering. Try to try to establish contact. If they reciprocate, great, you might have a conversation. If you don't, the Bible says, as far as it is with you, be at peace with all men. Just make the effort. If they don't, if they don't respond, at least you can have the peace of knowing you try. Some of you are sitting here, and the reason you're struggling is because you're not forgiving. And there's someone who's hurt you so deeply, and you're just unwilling to forgive. Just challenge you, let Christ forgive them on your behalf. Let him do the forgiving work in you for them. You've got to let go at some point. It's not doing your soul any good. You've got to learn how to forgive the people out there. You know, uh, the, the um, uh, ALS LS iceberg Challenge has been a f- phenomenon as it's hit the social media and this, fun, this combination of fundraising and social media just exploded. And I just thought about this uh, last night as I was drifting off to sleep. I said, that's, that's a good, it's a safe challenge. You know, donate, help, help, help people get out of that, all that. But what if, what if we did a new challenge? Instead of the ice bucket challenge, what if we did the dirt bucket challenge? <laughs> if I just challenge all of you say, look, if there's a hatchet that's out there, I challenge you to bury it. I challenge you to take a bucket of dirt, metaphorically, and just bury the hatchet. Forgive that person. Let them forgive you. Pursue reconciliation. Bury the hatchet. And the last thing, there may be some of you here that it would be, it would almost be evil to not mention this, the most important relationship you need to reconcile is the one with God. Maybe because of sin and pride, you've been running from God and you're not in relationship with him. Hey, let let me just encourage you. He took the initiative. He even made a peace offering. That peace offering has a name. It's the name Jesus. It's Jesus died on the cross, and Jesus rose from the grave. Why? So we could be reconciled to God. We're rebels. We run from God. We're rebels against God. And God has took the initiative, and he's made the peace offering to restore the relationship. And if you're sitting here to not... Accept Christ in your life. To reject Christ is to reject God's offer to be reconciled. The price of that is eternity. It's your soul. Why would we deny? Why would we run from such a beautiful offer? That God would extend his forgiveness to such an ugly creature as ourselves? All the wickedness we're capable of and all the sins we've done. He says, I'd like to reconcile with you. that's what the cross is all about. Every time you see a cross, every time you hear the name of Jesus, think, this is God's way of taking the initiative and offering peace for my soul. Have I taken that opportunity? Here's what I want to do. As we're closing out this morning, I'd like to point you all to your response card for a minute. I'm I'm going to challenge you guys a little bit this morning. Again, some of you are sitting here with peace, which is great, but some of you might not be sitting here with peace. Here's what I challenge you to look at. Look at that response card. There's some opportunities. If you need to reconcile with God, there's a spot there that you can, you can pray this. Just, God, here's a great prayer. Listen to the words. Listen to the heart saying these words. I need to be reconciled with you. Some of you have walked away from God. Today, you just need to be reconciled back to the Lord. But there's the next section here that says, today, God's placed the following name or names on my heart to reconcile. And within the next 60 minutes, I commit to make contact in the prayerful hope of reconciliation. Some of you are going, uh-oh. I'm going to ask the team to come up right now. And as, as they're leading into that last song of worship, as we're preparing to receive our offering, here's my challenge for you. Would you wrestle with God for a few seconds, please? Would you just say, God, is there anybody that I'm not aware of that I actually haven't forgiven them? God, is there anybody I'm not aware of that maybe I need to ask their forgiveness? I need to bury the hatchet. And ask God to sift your heart. And if he gives you a name or some names, I challenge you to write them down. I've got a name. I've got a name. And in the next 60 minutes, and some of you, I tell you what, you can look through your phone and find the number and just have it ready. Maybe some of you are going to go home and, and, and right after this day, before you even put food in your mouth or whatever, you need to get out a card or a letter and start to write something that would initiate peace. Just do something. To initiate peace. You know, Jesus has called us to be peacemakers. When we're done with the Genesis series in, a, in, in about a month or so, we're going to be starting a new series, and we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And one of those is to, blessed are the peacemakers. And maybe today, you can take that first step of initiating peace and bearing the hatchet with someone who really needs it. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Thank you that you have offered peace for us. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for anyone here today that has not been reconciled with you, that they've been running from you all their life. God, that today they would reconcile. They would see your initiation and your your, uh, peace offering in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. God, for anyone else here as they're doing an inventory of their life, God, would you bring names to their mind? God, would you give them courage? Would you give them boldness? Would you touch their hearts and wrestle with them about what they need to do to forgive or to be forgiven? God, let them pursue peace. Lord, I know I opened up a can of worms today. There's going to be people that are going to walk out of here with peace. There's going to be people that are walking here really struggling. God, I pray that you meet them in that place of need. God, thank you for Jennifer, and thank you for Bob, and the many others who've said, thank you for what CVC has done by teaching us the Bible, teaching us about the Lord, and our lives have been changed. God, thank you for the changed lives, the new life that comes in Christ. And God, as we receive these gifts here in a little bit, we invest them with the hopes that more people will experience that new life in Christ. You're an awesome God, and we love you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name, we all set together.